said, turn with me to the gospel according to Luke, chapter 3. The gospel according to Luke and chapter 3. As you may know, I want to welcome you to the season of Epiphany. And in this season of Epiphany, we celebrate baptism. That's one of the things we actually celebrate. That is the appearing of the Son of God on the scene when he's 30 years old at his baptism. And so this is an important piece to this season of Epiphany. It is a type of manifestation of who God is. And so I want to kind of give a a 30,000 foot overview of where we're going over the next few weeks all the way until... Ashes are imposed on our head at the beginning of March, which will begin the season of Lent. Okay? And so, in short, we start with the baptism, work our way through the the, the, uh, lectionary readings, have us stuck in 1 Corinthians, interestingly. So you'll be hearing from Pastor Bruce and myself on this book of 1 Corinthians, particular chapters here, though, in those books. And Finally, Epiphany will end with the transfiguration, which is a type of baptism, another type of appearing, right? Because think, think with me, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, uh, he hasn't even called his disciples, right? And yet John, the prophet who everybody in Israel at the time would have admitted was a prophet of God, so much so, by the way, that even in the Gospel of John which was not written by him, by the way, Uh, the gospel writer has to say John was not the Messiah, guys, because at the time they really thought John was the Messiah because they had finally heard again from a prophet of God after about 450 years, roughly 430 years of silence, so to speak, from the Holy Spirit empowering a prophet of God that everyone said, that's a prophet of God. Well, this prophet of God witnesses to the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world, who is Jesus Christ, our bridegroom. And so by John witnessing to this, Jesus is then baptized at 30 and he is is beginning to manifest, to appear, epiphany, to appear to all people as God and Lord and our mediator, our Lamb. You know, all of the things, our Savior. Well, then John's ministry ends and Jesus' begins. Then, later in Jesus' life, deeper into the Gospels, in each of the synoptics this happens, is Peter will make a confession. You remember this. It's an important confession. And this confession is, Jesus, you are the Christ. So you have John's confession, you have Peter's confession. These are two parts of Jesus' ministry. One part is ministering, calling disciples, preaching and teaching. And then the second ministry will be going to the cross. His ministry of glorification. And in this ministry, Peter is the witness to this. Because remember, only by the testimony of two or three must things be determined per the law in the Old Testament. Which is why when two or three gather in his name, Christ is with us. We are witnessing to the risen Christ, and he manifests himself. All right, so, our, so I say all that to say this. Our theme is manifest throughout Epiphany because that it really is a synonym 
of Epiphany. And it really is truly what Christ is wanting to do is manifest himself among us just as he did the first hearers of this gospel. So I invite you into the world of the Bible now as we look here at Luke's account. Remember, Luke has a different perspective. He's looking from this way at Jesus, speaking in his own language, whereas Mark is over here and Matthew's over here and John is way over there. He's very different. Not one of the synoptics, right? And yet all of them are witnessing to the reality of our risen Lord. All right, so hear hear Luke's account now. Uh, And and there's so much more to say because remember we went to the biblical uh, narratives of of Jesus' infancy, so it takes John three chapters, whereas it takes Mark just a few verses to get to Jesus' baptism. So listen here as, as the word of God is read. And notice, notice um, we're going to read three, starting with 15 here, and I'm going to bounce around just a bit. I'll, I'll carry you through that. So hear these words of God. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John... See, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them and all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandal uh, I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Drop down to 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, that little little phrase and was praying, is unique to Luke. Nobody else tells us that after he was baptized, he's standing in the water praying. Luke does. The heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. And thank you for this event, this moment of identification with us, this moment of institution for us. Lord, help us now to live into our baptism. We pray in your name. Amen. The topic of baptism is big. Uh, It's not a small topic, and it's one that unfortunately has divided Christians. It should not be so, brothers and sisters. Baptism is the one thing that unites us all as brothers and sisters. We all can receive this mark of baptism, and it should be the mark of unity for all Christians. Anytime somebody is causing division over baptism, I want to step back for a moment away from that. I want to seek unity. And one of the ways we can do this is properly understanding the biblical view of baptism. And so, in one sense, early on, God institutes the beginnings of what will be baptism and Eucharist. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. And it's through the crossing of the Red Sea where we pass through, as Paul says, the waters of baptism. They did. That's our parents. Remember, that's our family. Don't think, oh, yeah, they did. No, no, we did. 
This is our family. And they pass through the waters, what? Into new life. Out of Egypt, which represents sin, into new life, but straight into the desert. And doesn't Jesus follow this exact pattern in his earthly life? He comes out of nowhere, seemingly, onto the scene at 30 years old, is baptized, passing through the waters, and then goes where? But the wilderness, but the desert. Driven by the Spirit, which really represents, and in the, and in the wisdom of the church, in the seasons of, of our calendar, it follows the same pattern. We celebrate Epiphany, which is celebrating our baptism, which is celebrating the manifestation of Christ among us. And then we move straight where? To the desert. The desert of Lent. It's meant to be this way. And then we enter into ministry. And then we enter in, just as Christ has... ...to the resurrection glory. And so there, there really is a logic here to the seasons of the church. They're not happenstance. And these should inform us in our own lives of how... ...well, really the path of Christ. Again, talking about straight paths. It, this is all of our paths, friends. We will all go through the waters and then enter times of desert. Enter times of wilderness where we need God... And we know our need. In the desert, you know your need. Well, so I want to just simply answer today really two questions. Which really are the two steps of baptism. Which is to say, what is baptism? And then what are its benefits? Another way to look at it would be to say, baptism is initiation. And it is incorporation. So we are initiated into Christ. Grafted in Christ. ...identified with him in his dying and in his rising. But also, we're incorporated into the divine life. Which is why. Which is why baptism, Christian baptism that is... ...must occur in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Because we are incorporated into the family of God. That divine family. That relationship. Really, we as identifying with the Son... ...are in between the Father and Son's love... ...who is the Holy Spirit. Which is why if we are to love God... ...we are to be filled with the Spirit. And when we come to God in faith... ...and we are born again... ...we are born of the Spirit. And John would say... Born of, ...you must be born of water and of the Spirit. And so... ...baptism is an initiatory sacrament. It's the door in... So the whole spiritual life is opened to us through the door of our baptism. And just like a door, you're not meant to stare at the door or stay in the doorway. That would be bad. Particularly in baptism, you put them under, okay, we're done here. No, there has to be a coming up and then a moving out of the waters. We are not to remain in the waters. We are to move out, remembering our baptism, yes, but not remaining at the door. We are to enter into all of the spiritual life that God has for us and all of the benefits that Christ has afforded for us. This is, baptism is, the foundational mark of being a Christian. It's the one thing that marks us all. Now, in the Old Testament, you remember, what's the mark of being the covenant people? Male circumcision. So it's limited to males, but it is a mark placed on a very intimate part of a male, and I think that theologically speaks volumes to the fact that 
Christ is claiming us, God is claiming us as his own. Every part of us. There's not one part of us that he says, oh, no, that's yours. You can do what you want to with this piece of your life. No, no. In fact, it's the most private parts that Christ should own in our life. We are not a dichotomy. We don't just have a spiritual life and forfeit any sort of material life in Christ. No, that is why baptism is applied to the body. For it is our body that is us, and we our body. There is no way I can separate you from your body. If I did, you'd be dead. And this is truly what death is, a separation of body and soul. But it will never last because there is a resurrection of both the wicked and the righteous. Some to everlasting peace, others to everlasting damnation in their body. Because in the beginning, remember, God created us. And how he created us is not just by his spirit, by his breath. We're not just the breath of God, we're also dirt. We're also the dust of the earth. And so, we're both dust, we're both made of dust and divinity. And we should not separate these. These are, we are meant to be put together and whole, which is why, dear friends, the resurrection is the culmination of our salvation, not the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins, again, is the doorway in. It's just the beginning. The end is resurrection. It's glorification of this body, your body, the one that the water was applied to. Now, we've lost some of this in our, in our culture today because we're told, maybe even demanded of, that faith is to be private. Faith is to remain in the spiritual world, which means in the fantastical world. Faith is to remain only as a mystery and not a physical reality or culmination. But that's not the way sacraments work, is it? That's not what a sacrament is. A sacrament is a, an invisible grace that appears visibly in water, bread, the fruit of the vine. It's something we put in our body. It's something that is done to us, which means that baptism is both objective and it's subjective. Now, a lot of times I think we swing the pendulum too much on the subjective side. I am in control of it. But one cannot baptize their self. It wouldn't be a proper baptism. There must be witnesses. No, you go under at the hand of a minister and come up in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, water being applied. This is not something you can do. It's something that is done to you, which is a fundamental piece of what God is doing in baptism. A sacrament is God's doing, not yours. So the power is not in you and in your decision. It is in God's choosing of you. Remember what John says again when he's quoting Jesus. Jesus says, I chose you. You didn't choose me. I chose you. And I've called you. This is what we recognize in baptism is this one. 
is chosen of God. This one is called of God. What Jesus himself institutes, baptism. At 30 years old, he himself is baptism, uh, baptized, identifying with sinners. Yet he has no sin. So here's the one who is sinless, the least of all that needs to be baptized. And he identifies with his church and institutes himself both baptism and the Lord's Supper. Interchanging it out from circumcision. Right? So he's exchanging here circumcision now for baptism. And what this means is that all people, not just males, not just Jewish, all peoples, all nations, young and old, this is our promise. This is our right, R-I-T-E. This is our initiation into his church, into his very body, our participation in it. And so there is power in this sacramental right. Because God is at work extending his grace. Truly, baptism is an encounter with Christ and his church. Because it can only happen in his body. Well, think with me about water. Like, why would water be the symbol of initiation? Well, there's a plethora of reasons... But let's explore just a few. First of all, life happens at the water, right? If you look at any map, most big cities, groupings of people are near water, right? This is where the life happens. There's fun things to do with water. But it's also necessary to our life, isn't it? We have to have water. Now, we can go without food for quite some time, but not water. You got about three days and you're done. I think it's interesting that it's three days... It's life-giving water. There's a message even in the way we take water into our body. We have to have it. We must. It brings life. It sustains life. Also, if you think about water, I'm drinking some here. If you spill water, it never goes up. It always goes down. Plumbers know this real well, don't they? They make a whole living based on, you know, degrees going down because water doesn't travel up. No, it always flows down. Which is fascinating because Jesus is standing here. Listen here. Jesus is standing here in the Jordan River being baptized by John. Do you know that the Jordan River is the lowest place on the face of our earth? Jesus could not have went to another body of water that was a river that's lower than this point in our world. I don't think that's by accident. He comes to the lowest place and that's where his work is done. Now, a pastoral note here. Some of us find ourselves in a low place sometimes. That's where Christ wants to work. Not in our great gifts that everybody says, wow, you're really good at that. (laughs) No. Where we're weak. 
Isn't this what Paul says? It's in my weakness that Christ is made strong. Where are you weak? Where are you low? Allow God's grace to meet you there. It's a humbling act being baptized. Someone is taking you in their hands. When I, when I, when I baptize children, I'm taking their life. I take them away from their parents with fear and trepidation and hold them in my hands, imposing water. That's why we even say imposition of ashes. Think about it, the laying on of hands. Christianity is a bodily faith. It is not one of the mind. It is not one of philosophy. It is a public faith. And this is why hands will be laid. Oil is anointed. Water is applied. It's why we eat and drink right here in the middle of a worship service. It's because we're not called to serve God in our head privately in our spiritual life, but instead publicly and with our body. We are to be living sacrifices. It is our reasonable act of worship to present our bodies to God. And in baptism, we present our bodies and are humbled as we go down with him, that is Christ, and rise with him down into the waters the troubling waters of death. For when one is submerged or when the water is poured on the face, you see babies do this because they already know, hey, we're going to have trouble breathing if this continues. In both instances, with immersion and pouring, you get the same effect, and that is death rushes over us. And then we emerge in new life, which is the point of water. We're dirty and then we become clean. We're in Egypt, and then we move into new life. We're in the womb, and the water breaks, and we're born again. We go, we must go down with Christ. We must humble ourselves in this way and receive the type of humility of the Son of God who became flesh for us, going under the waters of baptism at the hand of John the Baptist. This is why this is important. At a particular moment, which becomes his Ebenezer. You know, we just sang that song, right? You know what Ebenezer is, right? A stone of remembrance. It, it's a marker, a flag planted. Something on that day changed. You entered a new family. We're born into a new family. Not the family of Adam but of Christ. You, friends, are a new creation per God's declaration. Let's start believing that. Let's start living like that. It begins by humbling ourselves. Well, water is also one of the most common things in our world, isn't it? And God, you, I looked it up, okay, I'm no scientist, but 71% of the Earth's face 
the Earth's surface is water, apparently, according to Google. Okay, I'm sure you will dispute that later. But nonetheless, it's a lot of water. And when you look at the world, right? I mean, we've all seen pictures of the world from space. Even though we haven't been there, we've seen pictures. And it's a lot of blue, which gives us life. But it's very common. Water's something super common. Jesus' name was, was the most common name of the day. It would have been typical to, to have, if you transliterate, it's really Josh. It's just a shortened form of Joshua. He was just named Josh, which, which everybody seemed to have that name in the first century. It was a very common and a sacred name to us. And it was to them, but not because of its uniqueness. It's not some crazy name like Nebuchadnezzar. That's how a guy used to say it. So I don't know. No, Hezekiah, no, Jesus. It's not in its uniqueness, but in its holiness. God makes common things holy. That's the business he's in. And that's good news, isn't it? I'm not a unique dude in any way that people be like, oh man, that dude is great. Like, no. And that's fine with me. Like, I've come to the realization that that's okay. Because God has called me to certain people and to certain things. And as long as I'm faithful there, he can say, you're my beloved. And I'm well pleased. I'm not doing this for the world's sake. I'm doing it for him. He called me. And so, he can use common people like us. And we're transformed. Water is also used for borders, right, and divisions. So in other words, even bordering, like, you know, the border of uh, Alabama and Mississippi, or, or sorry, Mississippi and Arkansas and Louisiana, is the Mississippi River. Water oftentimes separates and divides, even biblically. If you notice, the Garden of Eden, there's four rivers mentioned, right? The, the land boundary there's often bodies of water that are mentioned. The Mediterranean was the great sea in the Roman period that everybody understood. It's right there. It separates us all from Greek to from Greece to Jerusalem to Athens, etc. It's water. Water acts as a natural border or division, and so does baptism, friend. We are divided from who we used to be. We are no longer just sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, but instead of Christ. We're not the same. There's a dividing line that we need to remember. We are consecrated for his purposes, not our own. We are no longer our own, but Christ. Isn't that good news? I love that. Mm. Well, also water is super powerful, isn't it? Like you just think about water generally. I was watching a show one time that they were they were had they had a new device to uh, disarm bombs, you know, like car bombs. And what they do is they blast water through the car, and it just you know if a fuse is supposed to be lit, well, <laughs> too bad, buddy. Water, you know. You talk about throwing a wet blanket on a moment. That's a good thing in that instance, right? Well, water can be a very powerful thing. Think of, think of rapids, right? I mean, when we were in Alaska last year, that was a pretty powerful rapid I went down. I forget the name of the river, but 
I'll never forget the experience because it was kind of terrifying because it's super cold as well. It wasn't just that the, you know, you're bumping around, but that, I mean, I, if I'd have fallen in there without that dry suit on, which you'll have to ask me about that later. <laughs> My first experience in a dry suit ended up with a wetsuit nonetheless. <laughs> it wasn't because I was scared. Nature calls. When I took off the dry suit, the lady said, oh, no, goodness, you, you, you got, it's got a leak in it. And I said, no, unfortunately, I just, <laughs> only I do. <laughs> Water's a powerful thing. It's one that we can't control, is it? You go to the beach and you realize there's something there at the beach that is bigger than you are, more immense than our minds can even wrap around, because if you know, like all that water, most of it's in the ocean. Which is why ancient peoples were always scared of the ocean. Always scared of the sea or what is called the deep. And you remember, the deep shows up in Genesis, doesn't it? The earth was that form and the spirit of God hovered over what? The deep, what? The deep waters. And yet, and yet, at the end, in Revelation, we see the sea again. And the sea is not tumultuous. The sea is instead a crystal sea. Now, that's impossible, isn't it? If you've ever been to the beach, you know this. Every wave is different and they, they never stop coming. Which is kind of the fascinating piece to the ocean, in my opinion. I can literally just sit there. I'm not kidding you. If you don't believe me, just take me to the beach. <laughs> For nine hours every day, all day, as long as I can. Soaking it up because it's fascinating to me. It never ends. But it speaks a message in the scriptures that the sea cannot be controlled and is dangerous, but it won't be one day. Christ Himself will calm all things and there will only be peace. Aren't you ready for that day? Crystal clear peace. Lastly, uh, water is used symbolically or typologically in the scriptures. But also it is in our stories. <laughs> if you think about cer certain movies you've watched, right? If they want to, like a horror movie, right? Which I'm not a big fan of horror movies and genres, but, but I know how they work. And that is, if you really want to scare people, all of a sudden make it night, and then let lightning flash and the rain come, right? Da, 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 you know, and everybody's like, ooh, right? I mean, you've seen them, and you kind of, ooh, ooh, that is scary there. You use water to do that. Or on a boat in the ocean and a big storm comes. Talk about being scared. Just get out on a paddleboard sometime. Go as far out as you can't hear anybody on the beach anymore, and then I dare you to jump in. Now, and I don't really, because you might get eaten by a shark on the Gulf Coast, but, <laughs> but like, it's super scary. Like grown man here that can swim, swim real, real well, not speak well, real well, uh, but swim real well, I won't jump in. <laughs> I'm, I'm hanging on for dear life and my paddleboard, you know, because the deep is scary. If you want to make a romantic scene in a story, what do you do? You let two people get caught in the rain, right? Just a nice, gentle rain, nothing crazy. And what do they have to do? They have to huddle up, right? Ooh, we got to get close here. And then, you know, romanticism is coming. It sets a mood, and so should baptism. It should set the mood for what is to come. 
It is not where we stay. It is not where we part. It is initiation. And it's once for all. In other words, it's one time and it's for all people. All that would hear the call of God. All those. But here's what Peter says. This promise is for you and for your children. That's what he says on the day of of Pentecost. So he says, repent and be baptized, all of you, for this promise is for you and for your children. Which is exactly why we baptize children. Well, that doesn't clear everything about what baptism is. But it gives you a good picture, I think. What are the benefits? I don't want to focus on all of them, just one. And it's our calling. When we're baptized, we're baptized into something. It's not just something that happens to us, but we are now incorporated into God's very life. We're caught up in literally the mystical body of Jesus Christ by his spirit. We become one with him and one with each other. It really is a beautiful salvation and incorporation. But it also means that we're anointed for ministry. We don't just sit around like, oh, yeah, no, I'm baptized, so, yeah, I'm good. I'll just outsource everything else in my life and sit back and wait till the end. No, 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 no. No, no. Priests were baptized. In the Old Testament, for service. Are we not all called to be priests and kings and prophets of God? We are. (laughs) We absolutely are. And some of us are not living into that. Yes, we're baptized. Yes, we have God's life at work in us, but we have not entered into the fullness of what he has for us. And some of us, it's become not only a thing of ignorance that we didn't know, but it's actually become sin because it's disobedient. We, if we are grafted in with Christ, have the same ministry as Christ. And Christ was a prophet, wasn't he? Speaking the word of God faithfully and in public. Now, all of us are not called to preaching. All of us are not called to teaching. Those are particular offices of all of our prophetic offices. So just as Levites, remember, were called to serve God in a particular way from the other 11 tribes, but even within the Levites, there were variations, weren't there? So like my office as pastor, is different than some of yours. And that's okay. But you're still called to be a prophet just as much as I am. Just because I speak publicly here about Christ, I must also speak about him in other settings. Now, it's not, you know, lording it over you to say that we must make our faith public. People ought to know that we're Christians and we ought to take every opportunity to share with them the reason for our hope. Which means we need to study as well, don't we? Who God is. When's the last time that you've listened to a podcast that helped you understand better who God is? Or read a book of theology or a devotional book that that stirred within you knowledge of God so that we can love him more and serve him better. 
We give ourselves to a lot of things. We ought to make room as a prophet in your prophetic office. Every one of you are called to be a preacher in that regard. A prophet speaking the word of God. We ought to prepare. I constantly prepare. I'm not, like if you think, oh yeah, you know, Jessica sometimes will say, you don't even need to prepare, Beb. You already know. I said, no, I don't. That, I, no, I don't. Because the more I learn, the scarier it gets the things that I don't know yet. And speaking rightly about God. It's a big deal, isn't it? We must speak rightly to, about God to our children, to our coworkers, to our family, to our spouses. We're called to Madison, Alabama, friends, to speak the word of God, to be prophets of God. Well, also, we're called to be priests, aren't we? The priesthood of all believers. This is a fundamental belief within not only Protestantism, but even Catholicism and Orthodoxy. Everybody believes that because Christ says as much. <laughs> well, what, what does our office as, as priests look like? You know, you say, how can I be a priest, Pastor? Well, a priest mediates between God and people. What's the best way to do that? Pray. But not just grocery list pray. Lord, help, 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 so and so and so and so and so. You know, no, it's intercession. Enter into someone's grief. Enter into someone's pain. Enter into someone's lostness in intercessory prayer. Christ, who is not just a priest, but the high priest, sits at the Father's right hand as both the prophet and the king. He, what? Eternally makes intercession for us. When is the last time you spent time interceding, mediating between God and what he has for someone you love? Your children, your spouse, your co-workers, your neighbors, your fellow brothers and sisters. Our calling our baptism, our anointing is to intercede as priests. And it's to make sacrifice. We make sacrifices. That, that, that's with your time, treasure, and your talents. That's the way we're speaking about it, isn't it? And, and we even have a, we have a, a faith promise here that, that you can pick up. It's right up here. It's also online. And we're asking all of our members to sign this and pray Earnestly, Lord, what can I, how can I stretch this year by faith? Here's, where I, here's what I did last year. I want to grow. And in growing, I want to sacrifice even more for you. Because that's what a priest does. Sacrifice. Finally, king. You say, Pastor, no, I don't know how you're going to apply me being a king. I'm not a king. But you are. You rule over certain things in your life. If nothing else, you rule over you. And you have your own sovereign land, so to speak, your body. Are you in charge? Is another in charge? Is Christ king there? Is he Lord and you an under-shepherd of your body, of your resources? Kings direct resources. They are meant to help the land flourish and the people flourish. 
They're meant to be benevolent and not malevolent. If we were to look into your sovereign areas, the things you are in charge of, whether that be animals or whether it be a job or taking care of someone or your home, your lot in this life, is there a lot of benevolence there? A lot of grace, a lot of forgiveness, a lot of welcoming people into your sovereign land? Or is it a lot of shut offness, closed up? No, this is mine. This is mine. No, no, friends, if we're to be a king like Christ, he gave it all. He left nothing on the field. He gave his very life for us. And he became not only a king, but the king of kings, didn't he? He's the prophet of prophets. He's the king of kings. And he's the high priest. But he calls us as we identify with him in baptism, as we are made one with him, to take on these offices in our life. You are these things if you are a believer. How are they going? Let's take inventory. Let's do a kingly thing and have a staff meeting with ourself. Who's in charge here? Where are we? Where do we need to grow? What do we need to cut off? What do we need to drive out of our life? The benefits of baptism are upon you. So remember your baptism and live into all God's fullness. In short, obey God. Do what he says. Because we're meant to fly with him. I'll leave you with this story that I heard recently. I love it. (laughs) It's not my own, but I love it. It's great. There was an eagle egg that was with his eagle brothers and sisters in in egg form, whatever. I'm not good at telling the story. It's my first time to tell it, okay? And the eagle egg falls out. And it goes down because, well, that's what happens, right? And it goes all the way down to a chicken coop. And it lands there. And, you know, his other egg, or eggheads, his other brothers and sisters um, hatch. They become eagles, the whole nine yards. This dude, though, he's stuck down in the chicken coop. And he doesn't know anything but chickens. And they're all pecking around. You know how chickens are always looking down. You know, they don't fly high. They don't look. They're not doing this number. You won't see that. They peck on the floor. They're looking down. They're animals of the ground. And so he grows up, and even though he's much larger than them, (laughs) he is a chicken. He doesn't know how to fly. He doesn't even know the possibility is there. Until one day he sees one of his brothers, unbeknownst to him, flying around. The eagle lands and says, what in the world are you doing here hanging out with chickens? He says, well, I mean, I guess I'm a chicken, just a weird one. He says, no, you're an eagle, buddy taught him to fly, and then they left the chicken coop, and he fly, you know, he was flying high, right? More of the story is this. Don't be a chicken. <laughs> Take the plunge. Understand who you are. You're not a chicken. You're supposed to be pecking around in this or that in this earth. You're meant to fly higher than that. We're meant to look up to where Christ is seated on his throne. We are to be eagles. Stop being a chicken. You say, well, I'm a great chicken, though, and I kind of enjoy this thing. 
You're meant for so much more, friend. You have no idea what it's like, instead of looking at the dirt and finding a great kernel of corn, to fly high with Christ. So fly with Jesus. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.